Indigenous podcast series, Privileging Indigenous Oral Traditions, Past, Present, and Future, may bring up feelings of concern for people that are listening. The Indigenous podcast series speaks to issues of concern for Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people in Canada. If you are an Indian residential school survivor, or you are the descendant of an Indian residential school survivor, and feel that you would benefit from discussion with a counselor or someone providing support following this podcast, please call 1-800-721-0066, which is the Indian Residential School Survivor Society, and ask for support. Again, that number is 1-800-721-0066. For students that may experience feelings of upset as a result of uh, the information provided uh, on the podcast, please know that uh, the counseling office is a respectful and safe atmosphere to schedule a counseling appointment. If you're a student at Thompson Rivers University, you can drop in to the Faculty of Student Development Services, reception between 8.30 and 4, Monday to Friday in Old Main, 1631, or you can call 250-828-5023. So Thompson Rivers University campuses are on the traditional lands of Tecumloops to Chiquetan, the Kamloops campus, and the Kikalp, the Williams Lake campus, within Shikwetmulu. This is the traditional and unceded territory of the Shikwetan nation. The region also extends into the territories of the Statlium, the Inglakapam, the Newhawk, the Silkotan, the Dakhel, and the Seal nations. Sashrikal. Hi everyone, this is Harsimran Kaur and welcome to our next segment of the podcast series titled Indigenous Podcast Series Privileging Oral Traditions Past, Present and Future. Firstly, I would like to acknowledge that I live and work on the traditional territory of the Kedzi and Kwandli nations. Today, the guest for our podcast series is Professor Makwa Musaid, who is largely known as Shelley Johnson. Though her name needs no introduction, as she is the world's first Canada Research Chair for Indigenizing Higher Education and is also an Associate Professor at the Thompson Rivers University. Furthermore, she has worked within the child protection field in varying capacities since 1984 and has spent seven years as a CEO of Surrounded by Cedar Child and Family Services. And it was under her guidance that we came up with the idea of this podcast as a form of reciprocity to the learning that we received under her guidance. And we had a willingness to bring about a reconciliation between the Indigenous and the non-Indigenous people. So today's podcast series, it will help us walk through different parts of Professor's life and will help us understand the Indigenous view as opposed to the Canadian narrative that we have all been listening and studying so far. Professor, I would like you to introduce yourself the way you want. 
Kachi Megwich, Gaje Manitou, Makwa Masaya, Nandishnagaz, Anishinaabe Kwe, Kisakus First Nation, Nandonji, Makwa Dodum. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, what I've said in my traditional language, uh, my Soto language, is that I give thanks to the Creator for my traditional name, which is Makwamaseyat. In my language, it means I'm walking with bears. I've told you that I am uh, from Kisakus First Nation, which is a Soto community uh, on the Saskatchewan side of the Saskatchewan-Manitoba border, about halfway down the province. And our people have been there for many years. Um, I am from the Bear Clan. And I am very pleased to be invited by Harsham Ryan Gruel, who was a student in a 2021 Master of Education course called Privileging Indigenous Oral Traditions and Story Work in International Indigenous Research. And it was Harsham Ryan together with her colleagues, her master's colleagues, Chu Ying Zhao and um, Marian Erickson and Francis Mataluzzo, who envisioned this podcast and uh, were able to invite whomever they wanted to speak to about different issues. And uh, Harsham Ran, I'm very pleased that you chose me. Thank you, Professor. So, Professor, I would like to start the interview by asking you different questions. So, my first question to you is, how do you perceive Canada as a country from the Indigenous point of view? Well, in Indigenous teachings, uh, what we are taught is that we speak for ourselves and that we cannot speak on behalf of everyone else. And so from my perspective, you know, Canada is a very young country, just over 150 years old. Um, but our people have lived in these lands since time immemorial. And each of our communities um, have different kinds of creation stories. And so the land that I'm speaking from right now, the, the Shaquetan people, and specifically the uh, Tecumloops to Shaquetan people, um, believe that they have been here, uh, you know, for thousands of years. And it's really been the settlers only coming here in, in about the last 200 years that have changed their way of being and living. Um, and the same can be said for my people. Um, still today in Canada, you know, the treaties that exist between Indigenous people, First Nations people, and Canada or the Crown are still not well um, known and they're not taught in very clear ways in Canada's kindergarten to grade 12 or post-secondary, really, in many of the different faculties. And so there exist in Canada a number of uh, pre-Confederation treaties, treaties that have been signed after Confederation. And here in British Columbia, there are huge pockets of land, about 90% of British Columbia that is not covered by treaty. And that's quite different. Um, and so that knowledge, is, like I said, is not well known in this country. And there's a lot of um, people that, because of that lack of knowledge, because of that ignorance of that knowledge, are not aware of you know the, the agreements that we have made. And I, I speak about, you know, our right to education. 
our right to housing, our right to medical services. And, you know, many Canadians would seem to think that, um, you know, they that that has been given to us by some benevolent act. But really what's happened is that Indigenous people have agreed to share the land and resources in exchange for housing, education, health care, those kinds of issues. Um, and so even knowing a little bit about treaties, knowing about that that primal relationship between Canada and the First Nations who do have treaties would go a long way to help people to understand um, why those services come to us, why there is exceptions for First Nations people who have treaty or uh, Canadian status um, that live and work on our reserves or just work on our reserves to not uh, be required to pay taxes. And it's because of that treaty relationship. Um, so the way that I look at Canada is a very new country. It's a country that has um, been birthed in uh, many of our communities and many of our people who, um, you know, contracted diseases for which we had uh, no natural immunity when the newcomers came here. And many of those diseases disseminate or decimated our communities, um, particularly here in the interior. You know, my understanding is that the Shaquatan people at one time had more than 30 communities. And today that number has been reduced to 17 communities. And that's because of the, the smallpox epidemic that came through this territory in the 1860s. And the people that had to be um, reconfigured into different communities that were not naturally occurring prior to that uh, epidemic. Um, and I know that at one point when I worked at UBC um, as a professor, I did a lot of work with the Musqueam Indian Band that um, the University of British Columbia is located on their territory. And there still is not a treaty between Canada and the Musqueam people. So in effect, the entire university is sitting, squatting on UBC lands. And when I sat with people and I learned about their history uh, that I had never been taught before, I learned that uh, during the 1860s with the epidemic, their people went from a population of about 30,000 down to 100 people. And that had severe implications and repercussions for, for the people. Um, residential schools were implemented. 60 Scoop happened in their community. Indian hospitals happened. They had a an Indian agent that agreed to allow all of the sewer from Vancouver to run in huge tunnels underneath their community in the 1950s. And so a lot of untreated uh, sewage runs under the community. It can be smelled um, at different times in the year. It impacts the health of the people there that are now just coming back to, I think, about 1,600 people on reserve and off reserve. So it's still a, a much smaller uh, population than it was at the beginning uh, during contact. 
And it was um, a Spanish ship, the Santiago, that made contact along the, the northwest coast of Canada, um, along the British Columbia coastline. And it was Captain George Vancouver who stopped in the, in the community for, I think, about one day. And to this date, uh, that one short visit has resulted in the community that grew up around Musqueam being called Vancouver. Um, and I, there, but at the same time, there's a, I see a lot of efforts to address past wrongs. I see, you know, the, the city council of Vancouver um, talking about being on unceded territory. It means there's no treaty there between the First Nations people and uh, Canada or the or in the past it would have been the Queen, um, the Crown. Um, and people that are taking steps forward to acknowledge that injustice. And, you know, I live for the day when people like the Musqueam Indian Band walk up to the president's office at the University of British Columbia and present him with, um, you know, uh, an invoice for back rent for some of the most expensive um, territory here in Canada um, for, you know, the last hundred years that UBC has been squatting on their territory. So I think there's lots of opportunities for things to look different um, and things to look more just uh, from First Nations perspectives and from mine in particular. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Professor, for all that knowledge. Um, and I, being in the education field, I take it as my responsibility to teach the students and it is my responsibility here on that whosoever I meet, all my colleagues, I'll make sure that they are taught about the First Nation history, that the knowledge is transmitted and it happens on ground. I take that, that as a responsibility from here on. Thank you for sharing all that knowledge, Professor. I hope, I believe a lot of people, they're going to learn a lot from this interview. Thank you. So my next question is, have you witnessed systemic violence growing up? I think for um, women of my age, I don't really know anybody who is a First Nations woman that has not experienced uh, either emotional, physical, mental, or spiritual violence. Um, still, you know, I'm at an age where there were not a lot of... Um, opportunities, I think, for Indigenous children to come together uh, to talk about their experiences. And so we're learning more about what has happened in residential schools to, you know, people of my age. Uh, we're learning more about what happened to people in foster care uh, from people my age, uh, people that attended and, uh, you know, were staying in Indian hospitals. And I, I think it's still um, in process for recovering that kind of knowledge. It's come through the TRC, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It's come through 
testimony of Indigenous women um, through the uh, National Inquiry for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. Uh, it's coming through now through testimony and books, like the book by Gary Geddes um, about Indian hospitals in this country. And so that information is starting to come and people are starting to understand why um, violence happened and how it happened and who perpetrated it against small children. Um, in my father's day, you know, and during his time in residential school, there was not a lot of opportunity to talk about what had happened and the violence that the children experienced then. Um, I find that it's shocking to many people who come from other countries to Canada um, who've not heard these stories before. And they've come with a very um, different kind of perspective that Canada would like to other people to know about around the world, not so much about what's happened in these horrible institutions uh, to vulnerable children. Um, so Canada and, uh, and our people are in a process of trying to find our way through truth-telling about what has really happened in this country and to share that information with as many people as possible. It's very difficult. Um, I notice that it's very difficult for students to hear this for the first time, even for the second time. And people, many people, I think, are starting to look for ways of how can we work together? How can we um, acknowledge the, the horrific activities of Canada in the past? And how do we find a way forward? Because our Indigenous people are not going anywhere. This is our land, and this is, you know, the land where our people have been buried for time immemorial. And I don't see that newcomers are going home. This is a, a place that they want to be, that they want to live. And so we're going to have to find some ways to work together and to do it in respectful uh, ways that acknowledge the history in this country and also um, look for ways to build connections and relationships going forward that are that are representative of helpful, healthy, uh, respectful uh, ways of knowing and being and doing. And it may not always be Indigenous people's way. It may not always be a non-Indigenous people's way, but maybe we need to find a way that works for all of us to move forward. And I think about that with this podcast series. I think about, you know, the international students that this podcast series can can reach out to um, because of you, Harshamran, because of your colleagues uh, in this podcast series, the uh, Christian churches that can be, and the people that worship there, that can be uh, included in this new way forward. And it's not always, you know, it's people that aren't going to listen to me necessarily, but they might listen to you. Or they might listen to somebody that is a Christian, right? And I think that's going to be a really helpful part of this, of this series.
yes professor so professor my next question to you is i went through one of your uh, speeches uh, one of your addresses so you said in one of your addresses on perpetrating sexual violence indigenous bodies in 2018 that students come to your class not knowing the true history of canada how unsettling does it make you feel ah well i'm of two minds you know i it doesn't surprise me anymore the the lack of knowledge that students come to class with and it's because there is um a lack of i think indigenous people standing at the front of the class in the kindergarten to grade 12 system um that teach from our own perspective right or that challenge the curriculum that's being taught so it doesn't surprise me anymore it saddens me really about the lack of knowledge uh, in the canadian public system about indigenous issues but i also recognize that it's really difficult um to stand in front of a class where there is a lack of knowledge and to talk about the experiences of indigenous people in this country in australia in new zealand uh in the united states and sometimes it feels like um doing violence to myself to have to speak about that um to people whose first response is well that can't possibly be true i've never heard of that before and um and so you know i've i've taken some steps to help students to do their own research to find out um what the history has been from other indigenous people's perspective and so this last class this this year in 2022 really um recognized the importance of students making their own relationships with indigenous peoples and so you know in this course um when uh, people from Tecumseh to Shequem have gone out picking medicine um, i've asked if students can come along and if they'd like to and i found that it's it's not by making it an expectation for students but simply to tell students here is an opportunity and if you're interested this is the person that we will connect with and what i've seen using that approach is that the students that are really keen to learn will show up and they will bring their friends along and they will look for other opportunities to build relationships with indigenous people and i think that's how the naturally occurring relationships can be supported by by indigenous people working in post secondary or kindergarten 12 it was challenging during the the pandemic because those kind of relationships seem to have to happen over the zoom but as things you know um settle and there are many opportunities for students i think it, it it's important to help students to have those relationships with others that can be lifelong and um and are supportive and are um based on people that want to have relationships with each other um so professor my last question what changes 
according to you that should be brought about in the education system and the curriculum to bring about a true re- reconciliation what do you think is needed what i see right now across the country is that there are pockets of um specific courses that include indigenous knowledge there is no requirement across the country that uh, professors or teachers will teach indigenous um knowledge or bring in indigenous knowledge holders or uh indigenous knowledge keepers um it is really uh each individual professor's responsibility to either do that or to choose not to and there is no repercussion either way what i would like to see is that um before every student in this country graduates from post secondary that they must have taken at least one indigenous focused course around the the history of our people um and how canada has changed that and in the ways that it has changed it um so that our students are leaving with at least uh, a tiny bit of knowledge um and they can't uh you know say at the end of it well nobody taught me um and so i think administrators across the country presidents of universities deans of departments you know must be courageous and and make that a requirement it's happened at some institutions um university of manitoba you know and for those institutions there was some some fall back and some um repercussion from students who didn't want to do that who didn't feel like they needed to and from students that you know quite frankly were not interested and um and you know um were not in agreement with it um but i think you know there's a lot to be learned by people that must uh hear about the ways that their country has treated some of its most vulnerable people and i know in germany you know all of the german children to this day in their schools must learn about the holocaust they must learn about things that their country has done uh, towards jewish people and i think because of the genocide here in this country that all students must learn about what happened in residential schools what happened to children in the 60s scoop what happened in indian hospitals to indigenous people um and they must learn the true history because that change that is required must begin with truth telling and i still think that our country is is not at a place where truth telling is Uh, in the curriculum either in K to 12 or post secondary in the way that it needs to be and um you know we have had very courageous indigenous people going forward judge Mary Sinclair um Marian Buller all of their uh colleagues that have tried to bring this out but uh into the Canadian consciousness 
And both of them say, you know, it was education that got us into this problem and it will be education that gets us out. And what they're saying is that there is responsibility there for educational institutions in this country to teach the real stories. Um, and it's not always going to be have to be Indigenous people doing that, and it can't be. And what I mean by that is, for example, in Canada and post-secondary, there's only about 1.6% of all of the professors in all of the departments that are Indigenous. That means that there's, you know, more than 98% of the professors that are non-Indigenous that also have responsibility to teach the true stories of our history in Canada. We can't put it all on Indigenous people to do it. It has to be all of us. And so, you know, making it um, a requirement for all um, all faculties in all areas of post-secondary to be teaching this, whether it's to creative writing students, uh, education students, science students, uh, everybody should know coming out of these programs, the true history of this country. And I would really like to see that happen before uh, too many more years go by. We're hoping for that too, Professor. Um, thank you so much for joining me. And I'm, I'm really hoping that everything turns out really good. And people learn a lot from the podcast series. Um, as a motive behind this podcast series was to educate the masses and to spread a word and an awareness about the Indigenous issues. And I believe that we are able to address that and it reaches the masses and we are able to convey a message. Thank you so much for joining me, Professor, today. And it was lovely you know, listening to all that knowledge that you have shared. It's my pleasure, Harshaman, and thank you for doing your part to help people to be better educated about the issues that are important to Indigenous people. Thank you. Thank you, Professor. The Indigenous podcast series speaks to issues of concern for Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people in Canada. If you are an Indian residential school survivor, or you are the descendant of an Indian residential school survivor and feel that you would benefit from discussion with a counselor or someone providing support following this podcast, please call 1-800-721-0066, which is the Indian Residential School Survivor Society, and ask for support. Again, that number is 1-800-721-0066. To schedule a counseling appointment, if you're a student at Thompson Rivers University, you can drop in to the Faculty of Student Development Services, reception between 8.30 and 4, Monday to Friday in Old Main, 1631, or you can call 250-828-5023. <laughs> Hey, 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 hey.